afternoon, Converge Church. How y'all doing out there? Y'all ready to worship Jesus? Well, let's stand up and praise the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. Man, God is good, and all the time, God is good. We're going to sing about His goodness today, how close He is as a friend. And man, can we just start in prayer today? Come on, y'all lift up. Father God, we love you. We love you for being God. We love you for still setting on the throne that the victory belongs to you, that you are closer than a friend, closer than a brother. Father God, you are our Father in heaven, Father God, and you love us so, so much. Sing this with me. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Come on, church. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Oh, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Come on, right here you go. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me? When I call, come on, church, put your hands together like this. Come on. Is it true that you are thinking of me? Yeah. How you love me? It's amazing. Who am I?
Father God, we love you. God, we thank you that we get to enter in your courts with thanksgiving and with praise. Father God, we thank you that your word says neither height nor depth can separate us from your love. And Father God, we thank you for constantly pursuing us, even when we are in the darkest of dark times, even when we're walking through the desert, and it just seems so dry, Father God. Man, your presence brings things to life. And so we thank you for your love. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your
shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Light you won't tear down Coming after me Come on, that's you today There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no Converge, we serve an amazing, an amazing God, a God of reckless love. Uh, my name is Koketsu, and it is an awesome privilege to be standing here as the leader of uh, Converge students. Uh, we know uh, that it is back to school, 
and everybody has been preparing to make this a smooth transition into the new school year, dealing with the new norm. And as it is our tradition here at Converge, we want to make sure that we exhort our students, that we say a word over them, their families, their teachers, and pray over them to make sure that everybody that has a part to play in making it a smooth, productive year uh, goes forth knowing that God's word is over them and that we've prayed over them. Um, but before I go into the prayer, I just wanted to share a word of encouragement from Philippians 4, in, uh, verse 6 and 7. It's a familiar verse of scripture. But in the New Living Translation, it says that don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. It goes on to say that you should tell God what you need, but thank Him also for what He has already done for you. Um, and then it goes on to say that when you do that, then God's peace, which exceeds everything that we can understand, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, the promise from the Word of God is when we put anxiety to the side and put prayer first, then He's going to do something amazing. Even if our circumstances don't change right there and then, He will give us peace that exceeds everything that we can humanly comprehend. And that peace is going to guide us moving forward. It will guard our hearts and our minds as we live through Christ Jesus. And so with that word sealed in your heart, um, I want to say a prayer over the students, over the parents, over the teachers. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty and meshless name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, that you have made it possible for our students, for our families and parents, our teachers, and everyone who has a part to play in our students' lives, Father, that you gave them yet another year to come and explore, to learn, and to grow. And Father, we thank you that you're giving them this opportunity, especially in a time like this, so that the ones that are called by your name will be shown. Father, we thank you that the ones that we are praying for, your children, Father, we're praying over their families, over their teachers, that, Father, everywhere they go, everywhere they interact with everybody they in their circles, that they will be true salt and light. Father, they, they will speak the truth and love that they will stand for justice. But more importantly, Father, that throughout every single circumstance, every single thing, they will pray first, that in everything, they will cast their cares onto you because you care for them and father that because you are the one the only one that can lift the burdens that we carry so father we pray the anxiety out of every single family out of every single student out of every single parent we pray your peace over them we pray your peace over every teacher father we ask that you come and tabernacle over them father we pray for your protection lord we pray according to psalm 91 that even though a thousand may fall by their hand, and yes, even 10,000 by their right hand, none of it, Lord, shall come near their dwelling place. So, Father, we thank you that you are a good, good God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. So, Father, we put every family before you. We put every student before you, every child, every teacher, and every single person that is in charge of them, every caretaker, Father. And we ask that you give them your peace, you give them your guidance, and then, Lord, that you lead them forward, that their hearts will be filled with the joy of the Lord, and that, Lord, everything they do will be productive, that they will experience in this year, in this season, a true banner year. These things, Father, we bring to you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, and we love you, Lord. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your service. Thank you. 
Listen, Converge, I, I just feel prompted uh, to lead us together collectively in a word of prayer. The scripture says explicitly in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 that we ought to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What that means is as the family of God, none of us was designed to carry the burden alone. Uh, in our church, uh, there are several who are grappling with and working through some big, big needs where we're asking God for notable miracles. In fact, one of them had brain surgery yesterday. Today, he's talking, he's alert, and he even sent us a text message less than 24 hours after having invasive brain surgery. There are others who are trusting God for a miracle of healing in their physical bodies. No one was created or designed to walk alone. So in this moment, in this moment, we're going to join our faith with theirs. Maybe you don't need the miracle, but you can come alongside someone who needs the miracle. In Mark chapter 2, there were five men, five friends, one of them a paralytic, four of them his closest friends. And when this paralytic could not bring himself to Jesus, he had friends who loved him enough and trusted Jesus enough that they climbed up to the roof. And not only did they climb up to the roof, they ripped the roof off of somebody else's house. And then they lowered their friend who couldn't help himself down so that he rested at the feet of Jesus tonight. That's what we're going to do. You may not be the paralytic needing the miracle, but you may be one of the four friends. And we're going to bring those of us who are part of this church family to the feet of Jesus as we pray. The worship team just saying, there's no shadow you won't light up. If you're here tonight and you're covered in some kind of shadow and you just need the entrance of his word to give light, he will be that to you. There's no mountain that he won't climb up. So if you're confronted or facing a mountain, the God we serve is willing and he's ready to scale that mountain with you. There's no lie he won't tear down. The scripture declares that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he speaks lies into our ears that sometimes we choose to believe over the truth of God's word. Tonight, tonight, if you've been tormented with lies from the enemy, the scripture declares that the Jesus we serve will tear those lies down. And there's no wall, no wall he won't break down. Whatever's keeping you, what's ever keep, whatever is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus promised, his reckless love will break through it. And this is why that's important tonight, Converge. In Galatians, the Bible declares that our faith works by love. Let me tell you what that means. It means our faith is activated and energized when we remind ourselves of how much we are loved by God. You know what causes you and me to trust God? It's not just our great faith, but it's the fact that we are loved and we recognize how much we're loved. And because we know that we serve a God who loves us, we can trust him to move mountains, to bring light where there's darkness, to bring truth where we've entertained lies. So tonight, Father, we stand in the gap. On behalf of those, and y'all give me something to work with, Ben. Come on, y'all swell this thing. All right, let's follow what the Spirit of God is doing in this moment. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name 
that you are a God who is with us and you are a God who is for us. Tonight we stand in the gap on behalf of those needing a miracle. God, we acknowledge that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. What you did then, God, you are both willing and able to do right now. So Lord, just as these four men brought their paralytic friend to you, we bring our friends, we bring our brothers, we bring our sisters who are in desperate need of a miracle, a physical touch in their bodies, a miracle in their finances, miracles in their marriages, miracles in their relationships, miracles in their children's lives. Father, we lay them at the altar right now and we say, God, you have your way. And God, you do for us what we're unable to do for ourselves. Right now, God, we declare redemption. We declare restoration. We declare healing. God, we thank you for new beginnings in the strong name of Jesus. And whatever the enemy meant for evil, God, we thank you that you're turning it for our good and your glory that no weapon formed against your people will prosper. We render it to naught, we cancel it, we nullify it in the strong name of Jesus. And God, right now in this moment, right now in this moment, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. We declare that we are the healed of the Lord. We declare that we are loved by God. We declare that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And right now, Father, we receive your love. We receive your steadfast love. Your steadfast love that never ceases. Not because we've been perfect, but God, in spite of our imperfections, we choose to rest in your love. We choose to rest in your unfailing love. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. And his mercy, his mercy, his mercy endures forever. So Lord, as a church, as a church, we rest in that now. Let your love cover us in Jesus' name. And close the door to every work, every attack, every strategy, of the enemy we thank you for it now we thank you for it now that the Spirit of the Lord thank you father I sense that by the Holy Ghost that the Spirit of God is raising a standard against every work of the enemy against God's people it will not prosper it will not prosper it will not prosper and God we will rejoice in your faithfulness and everyone who believes and everyone who agrees shout a good amen it is so in Jesus name come on Chad there's no mountain come on there's no mountain
Come on, exalt his name today. Come on, his presence is in this room.
lifted to him. So thank you, uh, Converge Worship. First, welcome. But let's give a big thank you to Converge Worship um, for taking us there. Amen. I don't know about you, but what a good reminder that God chases us down. And I'm so thankful. I don't know where you have been. Um, I know some of you don't know where I have been. But I'm so thankful God didn't leave me there. That he chased me down. I'm here today. He's still got some chasing to do, I'm sure. But I'm so thankful for that. So welcome. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight and for the morning convergination. Um, by the time you see this, welcome. If it's your first time with us, thank you for joining us. Welcome. We want to let you know we have a welcome table outside in the lobby. If it's your first time, please stop by. Um, we have a little information we'd like you to fill out. We don't chase you down and bug you, but we do want to have a way of staying connected with you and keeping you in the loop of what's going on here at Converge. So thank you for joining us. Stop by there. We do also have a small gift. Um, it's our way of saying thank you for joining us. So make sure you stop by the table on your way out. All righty. Hello, everyone. We have lots of things that are coming up. So Cassie and I are tag teaming, so we both can remember together. <laughs> The first thing that we want to make you all aware of is that we are in part two of our summer Bible immersion campaign. We are journeying through the book of Numbers, and we are reading one corresponding chapter each day. So today we're on day 14. If you haven't started or if you've gotten a little behind, it's not too late. It's never too late to read the Word of God. So we just ask that you read a chapter. We ask that you pray as you read the chapter that God would give you some insight and some revelation and then make some notes and journal everything that he is showing you as you read the book of Numbers. Awesome. We also have our Super Summer Water Baptism coming up on September 11th. So if you or someone in your family has made the um, 
awesome, great decision of accepting God as your Savior, but you have not made that public step of doing a water baptism yet, we'd love to join you on September 11th at 5 p.m. to do that. Make sure to register with us by emailing admin at weareconverged.com. Awesome. And then we need you to mark your calendars, save the dates. We are preparing for our fall digital disciple initiative semester. So that is very exciting. I need a little excitement from you guys, please and thank you. We're getting ready for our small groups and that's going to begin the week of September 13th. More details will be coming in the days and weeks ahead. And for those of you who did not join us the last time we did it, they are awesome, they are life-giving, they are amazing. So yes. make sure to make note of that and join us for, for those. Yes. Also, you may notice our cool shirts that we are wearing not on purpose because Converge has so much cool merch that you can purchase. So if you're here, you can go outside at the table and purchase uh, merchandise there. You can also um, order some things online at store.weareconverge.com. Uh, we have hats, very awesome water bottles that I yes. learned now you can get customized with your name and glitter, Cree, walking around somewhere. <laughs> I'm like, no, Lars had glitter, but you can get glitter apparently. So um, really cool stuff. Also, um, Gonna plant the little seed, uh, peep some new merch coming soon. So be excited about that, and we will be yes. sure to let you know when that's ready to uh, to purchase. Um, last but not least, from me, on uh, make sure to follow us on social media at We Are Converge, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. We love to see you tagging and mentioning and commenting yes. and liking. So get on there, engage with us again at We Are Converge. Thank you, Cassie. So we now have the opportunity in everything that we do and in everything that we've been doing to partner financially with Converge and help continue supporting the vision and mission that God has given us to live out here. If you would like to partner with us financially, we do have multiple ways that you can do that. First, here in person, the ushers are in the aisles with envelopes. If you need one, we just ask that you fill out all of the details and then place that in the receptacle at the end of the worship service. You can also give safely and securely online by going to www.weareconverge.com forward slash give. And then you can also text Converge Give along with the dollar amount to 77977. Um, so please do that. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to say a quick word of prayer, and then we want to share with you all a quick video that just demonstrates some of what we do here locally and globally. This will be a global depiction of what happens when you give and what we're able to make happen because of your financial partnership and because of your generosity. Father, we approach your throne of grace with reverence, and thank you for every seed sown into Converge church. We thank you that these seeds are sown in good ground, Father, and that everything that we're doing is to build your kingdom and to reach your people. We appreciate every gift. We appreciate the generosity. We pray that you would bless every family that has given, Father God, every person that desires to give and is unable to, Father. We love you. We appreciate you. We magnify you, and we give you all the glory and honor for everything that we're able to do here at Converge. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Enjoy the rest of the worship experience, everyone. Hello, my name is Lexi and I'm here with some of the Living Water Ministry staff. We've spent our entire day packing around 80 food packages to hand out to some of young adults within our ministry. During this second wave of COVID, things have been very difficult here in our community. 
so many people are without jobs and without food. These food packages should last their families about two weeks. We are so blessed with your continued support. So thank you again for partnering with us. We could not do this without you. We'd like to say, it. yeah, there you go. One enthusiastic, there you go, a few more. A little delayed reaction. We'd like to say an enthusiastic welcome home to you, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. We'd like to say thank you so much for joining us for Converge Live slash Converge Online. We're honored that you're going to give us about an hour and 15 minutes of your time. We know that you could be anywhere uh, doing anything, but the fact that you're gathered in community here with us physically, and or virtually means the world to us. We trust that something we say, uh, something we do tonight will minister life to you and those you love and those connected to you. If you're a first-time guest with us tonight, uh, again, this is not unique to us. This is not original to us, but here's the deal. When you're here, your family so welcome to the family reunion. We're going to dive into the word here momentarily. But I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge some very special guests that we have with us tonight. My son, my daughter in the faith uh, are here. Can I say that? I think I can say that. Josh and Britt, why don't you stand? Uh, they are newlyweds, and they are here with us. Listen, all the way, all the way from Fort Worth slash Keller. And here's what I love about uh, Josh and Brittany. They are both educators. Amen? Both educators. And Josh, you're also a basketball coach. You coach middle school. Is that right? Legendary, legendary, listen, legendary jump shot. I mean, like, like Steph Curry levels. Incredible. We're honored that you're here. And then also, my dear friend, my dear friend, all the way from Mid-Cities is here. Uh, the Henry Creighton is here. Why don't you stand? Uh, why don't you stand so we can acknowledge you as well? We're glad we're, you're here. As many of you know, I traveled to Liberia back in June, July, and uh, Henry traveled with me as well. He has a tremendous heart for Liberia and the people of Liberia and uh, has already started to do some pretty cool things uh, in education. 
in Liberia. Before we dive into the word, I also want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity, Converge. Uh, because of you, we're able to partner with amazing ministries like Living Water Ministries in Kampala, Uganda, and the, the, the focus of their ministry is reaching uh, young adults and university-age students as well as high school students, right? Uh, because they believe that if it can impact these young men and young women now, they will be the generation that impact their nations in only a few years. So incredible work that they're doing in public schools as well as three universities. You and Converge have a part in that. And then also, not just what we're doing globally, man, but we're so excited about what we get to do locally. And, uh, and so thank you for everyone who responded to our urgent appeal uh, to partner with us as we supported Hope's Door uh, New Beginning Center. It is a uh, shelter uh, for women in Plano and Garland and uh, women who have been victims of, of uh, domestic violence and domestic abuse and their children, their families. And uh, so we got a, an urgent appeal from Hope's Door uh, for their Plano shelter. There were about 10 families uh, that needed school supplies. And as always, Converge, Listen, the appeal, when, when did the appeal go out? Maybe late in the week? Thursday? Was it Thursday? And uh, listen, y'all responded with such generosity that we were able to meet that need. So thank you. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You were able to meet that need and be a blessing to these 10 families, some of whom you'll never meet, never see. But your generosity has preceded you to impact these lives and to make this school year a little bit easier for these young men and young women. Additionally, because of your generosity, there are about 11 families that we identified and were able to bless them uh, with uh, gift cards for back to school. Uh, so listen, it's always been one of our core values here at Converge Church, generosity. So we live with an open hand, not a clenched fist. We live with a generous disposition. So we are able to do that because of you. Let's pray and we'll dive into the word together. Father, we love you. We honor you, and God, we thank you for this, this holy moment as we approach your word, God. We do so with reverence and humility, and Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. All right, is anyone else ready for the word tonight? All righty. Seems like some of y'all went to etiquette class because y'all are pretty polite tonight with your claps and polite golf claps and all that good stuff. Listen, uh, um, uh, we're going to continue our series tonight, and, uh, but I just, just sensed some residue uh, from our worship tonight. And, um, and just that reminder, I believe the Lord gave us uh, to rest in his goodness. Amen. Uh, the scripture says, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance not the fear of the Lord, not uh, fear of his judgment or, or his anger, but it is his goodness. That's why the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, as the Israelites marched into battle, the worship team, the worshipers preceded the army in battle, and this is what they sang. Their song celebrated the goodness of God. And they declared, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And as they celebrated God's goodness and God's mercy, God gave them victory over their enemies. I wonder if there's a correlation tonight 
between what you're going through and what's coming out of your mouth. That maybe if our words aligned with the character of God more than our crisis, maybe we would see an expedited intervention on our behalf. There's an often quoted verse from the book of Psalms, and here's what it says, here's what it says, here's what it says. And and even there have been songs made about it, but it says, uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And and, and in the written uh, song version, we all declare, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise praise the Lord, right? But when you read that verse, this this is how it reads. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. One translation, I believe is the NIV, says, let the redeemed of the Lord say this, colon. So the psalmist is telling us what to say. And guess what the psalmist said we ought to say? The redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, colon, that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. You know what we've been putting the focus on? I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord. When the psalmist said the focus of those of us who have been redeemed ought to be that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The song of the redeemed should be a song of thanksgiving and gratitude for what God made possible through the finished work of the cross. His reckless love, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. So tonight as we approach God's word, again, I still feel the residue of God's love. I don't know about you, but I feel it all over me, his love and his goodness, that you and I don't have to perform our way into his approval or his affirmation. Long before Jesus even performed his first miracle, he heard the father affirm him and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The father's affirmation of the son was not related to his performance. It was simply his character. I love you. And God says that to each of us tonight. You are loved. You are accepted. And when we understand, listen to me, Converge, when we understand how much we're loved by God, the scripture says our faith is activated. Faith worketh by love. Because I know God loves me, I can trust him to meet me at the point of my need. It's his love. It's his love. And what the enemy will try to do is remind you of your last mistake and your last misstep. Instead of running to the Father's mercy, we hide from him. Isn't that the whole idea behind Adam and Eve's fig leaves? Am I even going to get to my message tonight? What we often miss in the narrative in Genesis chapter 3 is that when God provided coverings for Adam and Eve because they came into an awareness that they were naked, it had very little to do with the physical covering and it had everything to do with the shedding of blood. 
without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And even in Genesis chapter 3, God longed for fellowship, even with fallen humanity, that he restored it with the blood. What am I saying tonight? Maybe God wants to give you an opportunity to draw near. Because his promise is, is, if, is that if you'll simply draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I always used to think, Pastor Wendy, that it was somehow my first move. When the truth is, he made the first move 2,000 years ago so that you and I would be reconciled to him. And he's saying, what you waiting on, baby? And that is, I believe, what God wants us to experience in our daily walk with him, that you are loved. And on that note, ha, it is 6.02. And that's where I start today's message. Bear with me. Indulge with me. If you have reservations, you may want to edit your reservations on open table. Come on, somebody, because we're going to get through this tonight in Jesus' name. You may want to text or call the restaurant and let them know you're going to be a few minutes late because we are going to get through God's word tonight in Jesus' name. All right, so here we are. We've been in this uh, sermon series this summer that we've called Get Out, and it's based on the book of Exodus. We've been chronicling, and not just chronicling, but learning these life lessons that we believe God has given us in the book of Exodus, right? Because in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that there are lessons and there are admonitions that we can glean from as God interacted with his people Israel during the Exodus. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've kind of landed on Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter 20, which is where we find, which is where we find, here it is, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And we've been walking through the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and the Lord's been helping us get some new insights about these ten imperatives. They're not ten recommendations. They're not ten suggestions. They are Ten Commandments, and God gave the Israelites these Ten Commandments uh, to help them get it out of them. Now, what is it? It is a metaphor for Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of them. Even more specifically, what God was trying to do was to get Egyptian culture. Egyptian paradigms, Egyptian mindsets. And that's what we've said before. Today, when you look at the believer, it's hard to determine what's influencing them more, culture or Christ. And God wants the leading influence in our lives to be Christ. And so in order to do that, God says, I'm going to bring you forward, but there are some dispositions, some habits, some patterns that you cannot bring forward into the land of promise. You've got to leave that Behind, But how many of you realize that old habits die hard? Because some of us are just set in our ways. And there are a lot of things we have normalized. So it took God 40 years to accomplish in the Israelites something that should have taken 11 days. Say this with me. Lord, make me a one-lap Christian. Meaning... Don't let me walk around this desert 40 years. 
I'm going to take one lap around this Sinai, around this wilderness, and then bring me in. So in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, we find the seventh commandment, the seventh commandment. And here it is. You shall not commit adultery. Now, most of you are saying, well, what does that have to do with anything? Man, it's 2021. That doesn't even make sense to me. It doesn't even, uh, uh, it's not relevant to me. I don't have an issue in that area. But let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about that a little bit. In order to, to give a little bit of context, uh, I told you I'm trying to, to, to make this as relevant as possible. So tonight, last, last week's message was inspired by none other than Bon Qui Qui, uh, I will cut you. Listen, listen, uh, tonight's message, y'all ready for this? It's inspired by none other than our very own Chris Brown. Come on, somebody. And the title of tonight's service or message is simply this, These Folk Ain't Loyal. Uh, I, I like that a little bit better than what Pastor uh, Wendy recommended. I thought it would be a little bit softer. Uh, Pastor Wendy's recommendation for the message tonight was... Um, don't hump your neighbor's spouse. I was like, well, hold on, baby. I don't, I don't know. If you're watching Converge online for the first time, please don't hold that against us. These folk ain't loyal. It seems like some of y'all like Pastor Whitney title a little bit better than mine. Still laughing. All right, so let me dive into the word with you. Here it is, Exodus chapter 20 at verse 14. Uh, the seventh commandment is God's explicit prohibition against unfaithfulness to one's marriage covenant as well as all forms of sexual immorality and sexual impurity. But here it is. This is what I want you to catch. However, at the heart of the seventh commandment is God's warning against divided loyalties. That when God was saying to the Israelites, do not commit adultery, it went far deeper than just the violation of the marriage covenant. God was dealing with a deeper problem that the Israelites had, which manifested in Exodus chapter 32, which had to do with their difficulty being loyal. And what God had to teach them was this lesson in exclusivity. I'll say that again. God was teaching them a lesson in exclusivity. So when God says in the first commandment, you will have no other gods before me, we said that God wasn't just giving them a bunch of rules and regulations that were random and disconnected and, and just had no... You know, God was just pulling these things out of hat. No, there were very specific issues and dispositions that God was addressing. And so from the first commandment all the way to the 10th commandment, God is dealing with a deep issue that the people of Israel had. And may I suggest to you as well that many of us have, which is divided loyalties. Mm. Now, why is that important? It's important because the Israelites at this point had been in bondage for 420 years. They had assumed some of the traditions of Egyptian culture and Egyptian religion. Foremost among them, syncretism. 
and syncretism is the combining of different beliefs while blending practices of various schools of thought. Syncretism involves the merging or assimilation of several originally separate traditions, especially in theology and mythology of religion, thus asserting, here it is, an underlying unity and allowing for an inclusive approach in everything we do. And today, the church in an effort to be politically correct and not offend, has become extremely inclusive. And what we have arrived at or what we have returned to is syncretism, where our beliefs are inclusive of everything when God says, I want you to be exclusively mine. It's unpopular today because most people say, well, you should be a little bit more tolerant. Oh, you're so narrow-minded. When God from the outset established as a rule, you will have no other gods before me. We said it a few weeks ago. He's not just your, he's not just your number one. He should be your only one. And that seems short-sighted, that seems myopic, but that, that's what God demands from his people. And here's why most of us struggle with that line of thinking. It's because most of us have embraced a contractual thinking instead of covenant thinking. We bring our thinking and our approach to God in relationships as though it were a contract. And just to be crystal clear, yes, the seventh commandment is a prohibition against the violation of the marriage covenant. But how many people go into marriage thinking it's a contract? And before they even exchange vows and exchange rings, they already have their exit strategy called a prenuptial agreement. Just in case this thing doesn't work, whatever I earned, whoever I was before I met you, you ain't going to touch none of it. And we bring that forward into marriage. And we approach life as though it were a contract instead of a covenant with God. He said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Uh, let me talk to you a little bit about contractual thinking and covenantal thinking. A contract is simply an agreement that is usually formal between two or more persons for the purpose, here it is, for the, here's the purpose of contracts, because built into every contract, people are trying to do what? Protect their rights. They are trying to limit their responsibilities, and they're trying to safeguard their interests. On the surface, it looks like this thing's going to be mutually beneficial, but every contract, everyone who enters a contract, enters that contract saying to myself, look, I'm going to make sure I'm covered. And even though on the surface it's supposed to be mutually beneficial, your contract will always try to protect your rights. It will limit your responsibility and it will safeguard your interests. Conversely, covenant, which includes the idea of marriage, is designed to be a solemn Mutually beneficial agreement that binds party together, here it is, in permanent, defined relationships. 
And that's the thing about most contracts. They have a shelf life. And they are subject to renewal. Or you can exit the contract. Your contract with AT&T is not binding beyond the term of the contract. If you decide to go to Sprint, if you decide to go to T-Mobile, you can when you're ready. In fact, there are other companies that will lure you away with incentives. And most of us come to relationships and we come to marriage and we come into our relationship with God with the same mentality. Covenant, on the other hand, is not, it's not temporary. It's designed to be eternal. It's not designed to be partial. It's designed to be all-encompassing. Because when you go and sign that contract with that phone company, you ain't thinking about how it's going to affect your health. You ain't thinking about how it's going to affect you spiritually. It's just a phone. Yet God says my people ought to be people of covenant where they have undivided loyalties. In fact, in covenantal thinking, there had to be shedding of blood. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when God covered Adam and Eve and he had to kill an animal to do it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin because God is a God of covenant. So he said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? So here it is. Why did God give the Israelites this commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. We find it in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 25. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm just setting it up. In Genesis chapter 32 and verse 25, Moses has been on Mount Sinai. God has called him away one-on-one -on -one to give him direction and to give him instruction. In fact, the presence of God was so tangible and visible that a cloud of glory covered Mount Sinai for all of Israel to see. And then all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 32, the Israelites got tired of waiting on God. Said, Moses is taking way too long. It's time for a little turn up. So guess what they did? The gold that they had received as they came out of Egypt that was reserved for the tabernacle that they should have used for the house of God, they all decided we're going to take all this jewelry, all these earrings, all these chains, all these trinkets, and guess what we're going to do? We're going to make us ourselves a golden calf. And then we're going to bow down and worship it. Why? Patterns. They were reverting to what they had seen in Egypt. They turned back to their idol worship, and they reduced God to something they could create with their own hands. It just wasn't that. The scripture says, implicitly, and when you read the word in Hebrew, in fact, let me, read, let me read that verse to you. There's a reason I'm saying this. Exodus 32, 25. It says, now when Moses saw that the people, listen to the word, unrestrained. You know what that word unrestrained means? They let loose. It means to let go of the reins. They were unbridled. They were without restraint. And they were not open to counsel or admonition. In fact, we're in mixed company, so I can't even use the other words that that means. And that's what they reverted to as Moses was on Mount Sinai. So as God has given them this instruction, you will not commit adultery, he's addressing something that was very real 
and that was very prevalent among the Israelites because what of us was acceptable in Egypt. And these were practices that they brought forward with them in Sinai. And God said, this is unacceptable because I'm a God of covenant. I am not contractual in what I do. So Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and there is this turn up, man. It's like Coachella. And notice, notice their response in verse 26. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Why is this verse important? Because it was only the sons of Levi who came to him and the rest of Israel chose to stay where they were. In fact, there's a verse, there's a verse in chapter 32 where after the, uh, Aaron, Moses' brother, who was God's spokesman, who built the calf. Go figure. Aaron built the golden calf. And this is what the, all the people said. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And what God was addressing was the issue of divided loyalties. Because if I have divided loyalty toward God, it's only a matter of time before I have divided loyalties interpersonally. I hope y'all heard that. If I have divided loyalties toward what God expects of me, if I have already crossed that line where I have a divided heart, a divided loyalty toward God, it's only a matter of time before my divided loyalty finds expression in every other relationship I have. It was Bertrand Russell, the avowed atheist, who said it this way. If there is no right or wrong, I'm sorry, if there is no God, then there's no right or wrong, just preferences. And that's what people do. If we can explain our loyalty to God away, then there's really no right or wrong. It's just my preference. And who are you to judge my preferences? Do you all understand what I'm saying? That is what God is addressing with the seventh commandment. Divided loyalties. Options, listen to me. Options are the litmus test for loyalty. You can claim all day how loyal you are. But until you have an option to choose between one or the other, you really don't know how loyal you claim to be. And that's why in the Garden of Eden, God gave them a choice. You can choose me or you can choose this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because God wanted their love for him not to be robotic. He wanted it to be the result of a response to choice. You can choose me or you can choose this tree. And they chose the tree. I understand what I'm saying? This is nothing new. You will not commit adultery, and, and this challenge against divided loyalty, it started all the way back then. And that's what God wants us to question right now. Where does my loyalty lie? Is it Jesus and other gods? 
Is it Jesus and other things? Have I moved the line to be more inclusive than what God called me to, which is exclusivity to him? Okay, uh, let, me, let me go a little bit further. Since we're talking about adultery, which is defined as the voluntary or voluntary physical intimacy between a married person and someone other than their lawful spouse, I think it's helpful uh, to understand this, that marriage is so much more than boy meets girl. Boy and girl fall in love, and then boy and girl get married. Marriage by divine design is so much more than that. And may I also offer to you that marriage is God's idea. It was born in the heart of God. And God's intent for marriage is that marriage would be the express image of God's covenant relationship with man. That we are to look at the covenant between a husband and wife and see in that covenant between husband and wife God's covenant with man. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, I tell you a great mystery that this thing called marriage is the exact representation of Christ's relationship to the church. So when you enter marriage... It is about so much more than your ideas and your preferences. You are entering an invitation from God to be a representation of his relationship, covenant relationship with man, and also Christ's covenant relationship with the church. The question is, most people aren't even ready for that. Because they haven't even started to understand covenant. That covenant is about surrendering my rights and assuming their liabilities. In biblical times, a weaker nation would enter into covenant with a stronger nation. Why? For their protection. The stronger nation would assume all of their liabilities so that whatever the stronger nation had now became the ownership of the weaker nation. All of their assets, all of their strengths, all of their, their, their influence was transformed, transferred to the weaker nation. Because in covenant, we assume more responsibilities and we limit, we limit our rights. That's why the scripture says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus didn't do it for what was in it for him. In fact, he paid the ultimate price, sacrificial death on the cross, so that you and I could experience all of what he had to offer. Mm. I'm going somewhere with this. All of that was just my introduction. So you said to yourself, well, Pastor Ray, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? I ain't married, so what, what does this whole adultery thing have to do with me? <laughs> when Jesus came, Jesus elevated what was required of us. Because what Jesus required of us has now gone beyond just a physical action. It has now touched even the thoughts and desires we entertain in our hearts. 
Because Jesus said it this way, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he has already committed adultery in his heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? So ultimately, what is it about? It's not about the physical act. It's about entertaining divided loyalties. I, 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 I want to go somewhere with, with, with this. And here's where I'm going to go. Because I'm about to close. I didn't get to what I wanted to say. Because I'm going to be mindful of the time. But there's a great story in the book of Ruth, chapters 1 and 2. And again, as I said earlier, change and options are the litmus test for commitment. When circumstances change, it will always reveal who's really committed. And it will also reveal what they are committed to. Because there's some people that can hang around as long as it benefits them. But as long as the personal benefit is removed, they give you the deuces. Because it was never about commitment. It was never about loyalty. It was about personal benefit. So in the story, these three women suddenly become widows. Naomi, the mother-in-law, Orpah, and Ruth, who are sisters-in-law. They are both daughters-in-law to Naomi. Naomi loses her husband. Orpah then loses her husband, and then Ruth. And they have one thing in common, their pain. The sudden disruption of their lives. And Naomi, in her pain, cries out and says, I'm going to go back to my people, Israel. And she said, I encourage you, Orpah. I encourage you, Ruth. You've got a whole full life ahead of you. Go ahead and start over. Have you ever experienced the, what seems like the finality of devastation? It's like, oh, man, it's all over. And Naomi says, I'm going back to my people. And you can go back to your people. And Orpah says, you know what? <laughs> Naomi, that's a real good idea. In fact, that's what I'm going to do. But this is what Ruth said. Listen, change is the litmus test for commitment. When things change, when circumstances change, it will always reveal the degree to which you are really committed to a thing. When life puts pressure on the marriage, when life puts pressure on the relationship, the first thing you look for is the exit. When the circumstances change, maybe somebody loses a job, and you can't do what you, the lifestyle you could, you could, and then most people exit. 
Because change is not only the litmus test for commitment, it will also reveal what you've been committed to. It will expose, it will expose, it will expose, it will expose. And I say that about marriage, but I can also say that about our response to God. When God doesn't show up on our terms, when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we hoped he would, first thing we think of is our exit strategy. And the Lord says, thou shalt not commit adultery. The problem is our divided loyalties. Because God is a God of covenant. Is that Pastor Ray? Okay. So uh, Ruth says to Naomi, you know, I really don't know where you're going. But wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. You know why? Ruth understood covenant. Orpah lived by what was contractual. And now that the terms of this contract are over, I am not bound to Naomi. But how many of you realize that Ruth's singular decision to be loyal to Naomi, who had nothing to promise her, brought her into a divine appointment with a man named Boaz, who became her kinsman redeemer. And Ruth is forever grafted into the lineage of Christ because she was loyal when Naomi had absolutely nothing to promise or to offer her. I'm talking to those people who, who, who are only committed as long as things are going your way. And let me just close with this. Because if it's true that marriage is a picture of God's covenant relationship with man, and if it's true that marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, this great mystery that Paul wrote about, is a representation of Christ's relationship to his church. Notice what the text says. Notice what the text says in James chapter 4. Three verses I'm going to give you. Because if it's true that God wants to get Egypt out of us and he wants to get culture out of us in order to bring us into a land flowing with milk and honey, these are three things to consider. In James chapter 4 and verse 5, notice what God says concerning his people and what he says concerning divided loyalties and covenant thinking. James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he says, adulterers and adulteresses. Oops. You don't have to cheat on your spouse to be considered an adulterer or an adulteress. Notice what he says. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Listen to me. For the believer, listen to what he said. Friendship with the world, enmity with God. Friendship with the world, enemy of God. There's a reason we sang the songs tonight. There's a reason we started with friend of God. So working with a team. Because I wanted for all of us to hear what it looks like to have a loyal heart toward God. Now, what does it mean, friendship with the world? The scripture calls Jesus a friend of sinners. It doesn't mean you can't have unbelievers in your circle. 
It doesn't mean you can't have people who don't know. In fact, that's who we're supposed to go after. We are supposed to have relationship with people who are unchurched and dechurched. For what purpose? For the purpose of bringing the gospel to them. For the purpose of influencing them with the love of Jesus Christ. The problem is, how many of us realize that a boat can stay in water as long as we don't let the water get in the boat? God has no problem with you having friends who may not be Christ followers. In fact, he wants us to reach them. And Jesus gave us that example because he was a friend of sinners. The problem is when we start to look, act, and think like culture instead of Christ. And so he says, don't you know that your friendship with the world, that building this golden calf is adultery? That I'm not exclusive? You have included other things and you have put me on the same level as culture? Notice what it says next. It says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world. Notice what it said. Makes himself an enemy of God. Now let me just clarify. The spirit of what God's saying. The spirit of God, what God's saying. He's not saying I'm going to hate you. He just said you can't have your cake and eat it too. Now notice what it says. Where the, where the challenge is, he says, or do you think the scriptures say in vain that the spirit of God yearns jealously? I want you to stop and think about that for a second. That when God thinks of you and the things that have captivated your attention and affection, he yearns for you, son and daughter, jealously to come back home. It's almost like Toy Story. You've taken Woody off the bed and you've replaced him with Buzz Lightyear. You know what it's like for Buzz Lightyear? Trying to get back to his spot that he once had in Andy's life. The problem is not God condemning you. It's just hey, God saying, I yearn for you Jealously, because you've replaced me with other things. Uh, let me give you one more, and then we're out of here. Two more, we're out of here. Here it is. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Listen to what he says in verse 17. And the world is passing away. You have exchanged what is eternal for what is temporal. The world is passing away. Whatever this world has to offer is temporary. It ain't going to last. It will not last. And then he goes on to say, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Forever. Let me give you one more. Did I say I was going to give you one more? Let me give you two more, then I'm done. For out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. 
Here it is. Elijah is on Mount Carmel. <laughs> and uh, he has this encounter with the prophets of Baal. But just before this great encounter, Elijah says this in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. And it says, And Elijah came to all the people, all the people, and said, Listen, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you vacillate between these two worlds, Christ and culture? How long? How long will you go back and forth? And then this is what he says, If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Notice that God didn't give them an in-between. God didn't give them a gray area. God said, it's either me or nothing at all. And he said, I'm okay if you want to follow Baal. By all means, man, excuse me, follow Baal. But if you want to follow me, then decide. And notice the people's response. They answered him not a word. Because their loyalty was so divided that when they were presented with the choice between God and Baal, they were stumped. And I wonder how many of us find ourselves somewhere between God and Baal, between Christ and culture. And say, well, I've never cheated on my husband, I've never cheated on my wife, yet God says, because I... I, I, I'm a friend of the world, it has created enmity toward God. And we don't even realize it. Because the seventh commandment is a commandment that brings our attention to the divided loyalties that often enter our hearts. Here's the last one, and I'm done. Familiar passage of Scripture, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. These are the words of Joshua. And he says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, if it's too hard, if you're not sure about serving God, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day who you'll serve. Whether you're going to serve the God which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, talking about Egypt. If you want to go back to syncretism, to serving multiple gods, a pantheon of gods. You can go back to that. That's up to you. If you want to be inclusive in who has your heart, by all means, do that. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. If you want to go back to your past, the way things were in Egypt, or you want to assume the cultures and tradition of where you live right now, your choice. But listen, he says, as for me, in my house, there's no divided loyalties here. We serve exclusively the true and living God. In Joshua, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, when God is saying to them, you shall not commit adultery, it is about protecting the sanctity of marriage and the marriage covenant but he's also asking them to look introspectively at their divided loyalties. Because if my loyalty is not first toward God, my loyalty interpersonally, horizontally to others is susceptible to compromise. And so, Father, tonight, 
we pray that you will do a work in our hearts. Because there are moments, maybe even seasons in all of our lives when we have vacillated and we've compromised. When our hearts have not been fully loyal toward you. When the lure of what is in the world, the pull and the attraction of culture, the desire to fit in, to acclimate and to assimilate, when all these things have overtaken our love and our affection for you. But God, we thank you. We thank you tonight that you're not like us. You are a faithful God, and you are a God who keeps covenant, even to a thousand generations. And you have declared in your word that even when we're unfaithful, then God, you abide faithful because that's who you are. So tonight, I pray, I pray that you will do a work in each of our hearts and that tonight we will renew our commitment to a God who loves us recklessly, a God who loves us jealously, a God who loves us completely. So, Father, tonight, that is our prayer. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that. Even as we leave this place, that the residue of your love that we sang about, of your goodness that we declared, would help us, would help us, would help us to love you back and love you exclusively in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Woo. All right. That's all I have. Uh, and I pray, I pray, I pray that God will do the work in each of our hearts. There's something I don't know what that is, but even when it comes to God, it seems that sometimes good guys finish last, that somehow we're attracted to the bad boy. And God is saying to us tonight that I love you, and my banner over you is love, and I'm everything you need. I'm everything you need. And I love you jealously. Amen? And maybe that's what we need to do. Just let that sink in. Why don't you stand as we close? As we close. Thank you, Lord. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you and be gracious be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And tonight, Lord, would you give us, Lord, would you give us your peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus.
And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. If you were impacted by today's message, we would love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we would love to send you some information to help you kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, email us at info at weareconverged.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com give. You can also text 77977, type in Converge Give and the dollar amount. You can also find all of this information on our mobile app. Simply open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano, and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.